Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I am joined by author, educator, and priestess of the Divine Feminine, Dr. Vivian Monroe, to discuss the Dark Goddess. In a wide-ranging conversation, Vivian and I explore the manifestations of the Dark Goddess, what she has to teach us, especially in light of the climate crisis, and the power of embodiment, sex, and disruption. Also, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts or the YouTube channel. Also, hit that like button and notification bell. Your support is truly appreciated. Vivian Monroe, PhD, is an author, educator, and priestess of the Divine Feminine. She integrates her training as a priestess and gifts as an intuitive and channel with decades of study of spirituality, mysticism, and personal growth. Vivian founded the Women's Mystery School because she believes that knowledge is power, and through the mentorship of women leaders, visionaries, and healers, women can embark upon a path of spiritual emancipation and empowerment. The school offers community, resources, and wisdom teachings to encourage women to discover and reclaim their divine feminine lineage and become the wise women the world needs. Vivian, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you. I am very excited to be here. I have been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah, me too. I've been wanting to have a conversation with someone about the dark goddess. Yes. It's been on the back burner for quite a while. So I was so excited to find you and your work and let's get it going. Yes. <laughs> let's get it going. Yay. So I thought that the first question I should ask is who or what is the dark goddess? Is it a specific goddess? Is it a type of goddess? Is it an aspect of the divine feminine? How do you explain this? All of the above. The dark goddess is really a category that many goddesses can fall within. It can also be seen as an aspect of the divine feminine and a subconscious archetype as well. So dark goddess, dark does not refer to negative or bad or anything like that. It's more what, what gets kept in the dark, that like it's not in the light of our consciousness, it's not brought out into the greater world, or at least not without pushback and shame. So a lot of the qualities that make the dark goddess dark are the rage, the anger, the unrestrained sexuality, the fierceness, all of those really big things that people can be scared of is really what she embodies. Plus she's also very thonic. So she's related to the earth. She's not necessarily a sky and light goddess, but deeply connected to the earth. And so a lot of her, I don't know, celebrations or people engaging with her, again, are engaging on this level of sex, ferocity, anger, retribution, blood, like it's all the really heavy, deep, big stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the reasons I was so excited about talking about this is because it seems so relevant in so many ways to our current moment. 
Yes. Um, because there's this aspect of suppression, of psychological suppression, but I think other forms of suppression. I mean, just suppression of the female in general yeah. and all of the things that the female is associated with, you know, like nature right. and whatnot. And, and the dark goddess is the like the pushback against that of like no more suppression done. It's right. yeah. Yeah. And it seems like this is her time. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dig in a little bit and maybe look at some examples of dark goddesses. Uh, do you okay. have a favorite? Well, yes, it's hard to choose, but the one that I have the most connection with is Lilith. Mm. She was, yeah, my first big one who I just dove into and actually wrote my master's thesis about her. So mm -hmm. I'm very intimate with her and as for other dark goddesses, the list is so long because you can find them in multiple cultures. So there's Ereshkigal, Anana's sister. You could consider Pele, Medusa, Kali, Sekhmet, Oya, Helque, Koatlikwe, the Morrigan, Babylon, the Arenyes, who are also known as the Furies. Mm -hmm. So it's just, they're everywhere. Right, right, right. Well, let's dig into it. Let's, let's, why don't we start with Lilith? For anyone who is unfamiliar with Lilith, who was Lilith? Mm. Well, the first uh, reference we have to her dates back to Sumerian times. Mm -hmm. And she's connected with the goddess Inanna. And mm. she's referred to as the handmaiden of, Nana, of Inanna. And sometimes scholars think that she's another aspect of Inanna. So she has really ancient origins. Where she's most well known is in the Jewish tradition, which talks about how Lilith was the first woman before Eve. Mm -hmm. So Adam and Eve, or Adam and Lilith were made at the same time from the same clay equals. And Adam still wanted to have the upper hand. And specifically in this story, when they were having sex, Adam always insisted on being on top and Lilith wanted to be on top. She's like, you know, let me have a go. And Adam was just, nope, I get to be on top. I'm, you know, above in this relationship. And Lilith said, no, <laughs> I don't think so. We are equal. We were made at the same time from the same clay. You're not better than me and you're not more than me. And Adam refused to consider her an equal. So she said the secret name of God and flew out of the Garden of Eden and went to the Red Sea where she frolicked and cavorted as much as she wanted, they say with demons. Mm. And Adam became really lonely and asked God, like, please bring Lilith back. I'm sad. <laughs> so God sent three angels to go and talk her into coming back to the Garden of Eden. And she held her ground. She's like, if I am not going to be treated as an equal, I'm not going back. I will not return to somewhere where I am not respected. And the angels threatened her and said, well, if you don't, hundreds of your babies are going to die every day. There'll be demons. You're a demon. People are going to ban you and banish you. And she said, I, okay. She would not compromise her self-respect and would not take less than being equal. So then she became demonized by patriarchal religions 
and Eve was made thereafter and made from Adam so that she really was second and a helpmate to Adam instead of an equal. Mm. And yeah, and, and Lilith has just been shamed, demonized, and blamed ever since. Partially, I believe, because she is a threatening role model for women, threatening to the patriarchy. Mm. Because here is an embodiment of the divine feminine refusing to compromise on her worth, knowing her equality, knowing her value, and refuses to submit. And so if, if women take that on as a model, then it's, it could cause a lot of, you know, rocking the boat. So instead it's easier to demonize her and make her scary so that people don't seek her out, don't want to learn from her, don't pay attention to her teachings. Right. Yeah. I find that very fascinating. And uh, I, you know, I'm a little bit familiar with Lilith and I think a lot of the stories come out of the, the Talmud, I think, mm -hmm. but forgive me, please. I, I can't help myself. I, I do have an observation I want to make, but for the listeners, I think, I don't know that a lot of people recognize that there are two creation stories in Genesis. Mm -hmm. You have Genesis one and Genesis two yep. and Genesis one is, you know, they use different names of God. So in Genesis one, it's the Elohim and it speaks in the plural when yeah. it says, let us make man and woman in our image. And they're made at the same time. Yeah. And then Genesis two, the name of God is Yahweh. And this is where Adam is made first and there's a different order of the creation. Mm -hmm. And then Eve is made last. Yeah. And it was trying to reconcile these that yes. the Jewish scholars kind of drew upon the Sumerian tradition and said, well, Adam had yeah. a wife first. But one of the things that I was thinking of, and this is along what you were saying, is that I know that an interpretation has been that since Eve is made out of the rib of Adam and the rib comes from the side, it's supposed to suggest that man and woman exist side by side. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to be hierarchical, but then it's like whoever was writing these texts couldn't help themselves because then they have to put the blame of all suffering on the woman. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because... Where was the side by side there? Right. 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 You know? right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So what is it that appeals to you about Lilith? Is it that refusal to submit? Is it the, what, what is it? It is the refusal to submit. It's also that she liberated herself for herself. Mm. She didn't wait for someone else to free her and she didn't do it, you know, to help someone else. It, it was her and mm. that she had complete agency and would not compromise herself. I just, I love that. And then the other piece, which I've experienced a lot in my own life is the fact that she lived in the Garden of Eden, which is supposedly paradise. Mm. So you would think, well, you're in paradise. You should be happy. Why would you leave that? Like, that's insane. And in translating it into my life, it's, well, there have been times where I've been in situations where it seems like I've got a good thing. It seems like according to others' 
standards, I'm living in paradise. But inside, I'm not. Inside, I am unfulfilled, I am angry, I am not seen, I am not respected. And so I, I have to do something about that. And a, a lot of times I find that people want a reason. Well, why, like specifically, let's say in relationship, why are you leaving? You're not being hurt, you're not being abused, you're not being taken advantage of, so why stay? It, it's like, it's not enough to say because I'm not fulfilled, because I'm not being truly seen and held as an equal. Mm. People tend to want a reason that they can grab onto that justifies leaving. Mm. And she didn't need that. Yeah. And that was, that is very inspiring to me and gives me permission to you know, put my needs first. I'm not saying be completely vain and self-centered and forget everyone else, but it, we do need to live from our own health and well-being first mm -hmm. in order to show up at all for anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good message, not just for women, but for all people. I think. Yeah. I and in the situation can be anything. It can be a job. It can be a relationship. It can be a home. It can be anything. Well, and it seems that so often that when people aren't acting from that kind of autonomy and mm -hmm. that personal authority, that they get blocked because their spirit is not allowed to shine at its brightest yeah. as it was meant to. Yeah. And I've always found it interesting that she knew the secret name of God. Right. That's what she said before she got out. So how would someone who's so demonized and bad and evil actually know the secret name of God? Right. So again, like it hints at there's a little more going on than what's mm -hmm. spoken about. Yeah. And I, I know that she also, like you had said, there's this tradition of her being associated with giving just birth to demons and whatnot. And she gets associated with the, the succubus, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is this, it's a weird sexual, I mean, you know, it's a natural phenomena that gets demonized in some ways. You oh know, yeah. That she's yeah. doing this to spawn more demons. <laughs> exactly. Again, you know, being the blame is being put on her and so it's, you know, if men have nocturnal emissions, it's, well, Lilith came to visit them and right. stole it to make demon babies. And there's also stories of if a man is with Lilith, then he'll never be able to have his sexual appetites ever fulfilled again. No woman will ever, you know, stand up to that. And so he's just going to wither away in desire and unfulfilled longing forever. Right. <laughs> you know, there's just so many different stories and amulets were made to keep her away specifically in nurseries to mm. keep her away from babies mm. so there was a lot of fear around and stories about her being a baby killer which again i think is propaganda mm. and it might refer we don't know to women's abilities to choose whether or not to be a mother and taking action mm. if they chose not to, mm. 
And then it's like, oh, well, you know, Lilith did it. <laughs> it's yeah. not me. Lilith did it. Yeah. Now, was Lilith associated with witches at all? Yes. I mean, witches, a lot of witches do claim her and love her and sort of bring her in. Yeah. But it's in the, the ancient historical documents there isn't that link because right. there weren't necessarily witches right, labeled right, right. and named, right. but she's had quite the, I don't know, adventures. Like you said, she gets associated with succubus and with vampires and right. with demons. And originally she was associated with wind. She mm. was the element of the fierce desert wind storm. Mm. She, her animal totem is the owl, the screech yeah. owl specifically. So there's a lot of ways that she's been co-opted in you know throughout time and even modern media you can find her popping up in different movies yeah. tv shows yeah you know, it's it's great <laughs> yeah lilith was a character on the tv series supernatural i remember mm. i don't remember too much else about it after 15 seasons you kind of forget the, <laughs> the early stuff i know lilith yeah. was in there <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I was curious about the witches and I think witches will come back up because that's one of my interests and witches are often associated with the dark goddess. But mm -hmm. it was when you were talking about women choosing not to want to be mothers, it, there is a long, long history of, I'm probably going to mangle this word, abortificants. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll just restate that as, you know, herbal brews i suppose or tinctures that can cause an abortion mm -hmm. and that women have known about these and have used them and many of these plants it sometimes it's referred to as the poison path because that's what women yeah. they knew these herbs and yeah. so that's why i was curious when you had mentioned that if she was maybe associated right. with witches in that way yeah and if so if you look at midwives the women as healers that's part of what contributed to them becoming turned into witches mm. because the healers knew all these herbal remedies and plants and could do a lot with it. And when they are working with poisonous plants or doing these other practices, then yeah, that leads into our ideas of, you know, the bad witch and witches, mm. you know, brewing these, mixtures that are evil and wrong and in the dark and the shadows and it's like no it's a warped memory mm -hmm. of wisdom and skills that the the midwives the herbalists the female healers held right yeah i didn't know this until i was doing research a couple months ago that there was that connection between witches and midwives and that mm -hmm. during the inquisitions, the midwives were often targeted and it boggles my mind that there was a struggle, a very recent struggle to get midwifery legalized. Yes. Uh, when I lived in Colorado, in particular in Colorado Springs, there was a woman that I met at community college and that's what she was. She was a midwife, but midwifery was illegal in Colorado at the time. And that just blew my mind. 
Yeah. And she was very active in trying to get it legalized, which eventually yeah. it was in the state. But I just couldn't wrap my brain around the fact that that would be illegal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even where it is legal, it doesn't necessarily connote respect. Right. Because I know stories where the midwife is disrespected, treated rudely, or even ejected from birth rooms mm -hmm. and is not seen as having any valuable knowledge by the current medical establishment. And so there's still that pushback and this, I don't know, incorrect misinterpretation, misinformation that that's dangerous and that you're really better off being with Western medical practices in a hospital. And for some, yes, that's true, but it's not a blanket statement. And midwifery is an ancient, well-respected, legitimate healing path. Right. Right. And my understanding, if I can remember it correctly, that the suppression of midwives kind of went hand in hand with the development of sort of modern science and modern yes. scientific techniques. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 My friend would tell me about people who would go to the court hearings and the legislative hearings as they were fighting for this. And even some women would go and, you know, nurses would go in and just say all of this, what my friend said were just outright lies. Propaganda, I think is what you said. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my midwife friend, she was very adamant about this. She's like, look, if I recognize that a woman needs serious medical attention, I'm going to make sure she gets it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I am not opposed to having her go to the emergency room if she needs it. Right. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. So that was Lilith. And are there any others that you are particularly fond of? Any other examples of the dark goddess? Too many to name. I just I love them all. I know that you're interested in climate change mm -hmm. and ecology and the environment. And that made me think of Demeter. Mm, yeah. And so the, the story with her is her daughter was Persephone and her daughter was out picking flowers in a field and the ground opens up. Hades, the king of the underworld, god of the underworld, comes up, rips her down, abducts her to be his wife. And while she's down there, Demeter, her mother, is really upset. Like she doesn't know what happened to her daughter. She just knows she's gone missing. Mm -hmm. And she starts this huge hunt, just traveling everywhere, looking for Persephone and is enraged and finds out what happens and that, you know, and Zeus agreed for Hades to take Persephone as his wife and, Dem and Demeter demanded her daughter back. And they were like, nope, sorry, it's already done. So Demeter, who's the goddess of the grain and, uh, you know, attached to fertility said, fine, I'm taking the grain. No food will grow until my daughter is returned. And she brought famine to the land. And the dog, the gods freaked out because if 
people don't have food, then people can't make offerings to the gods. So the gods <laughs> lose out. So it was only then that they said, okay, Persephone can come back. But since she already ate something in the underworld, it's usually said like three pomegranate seeds. Mm -hmm. She can only come back for a portion of the year and then has to return. So that explained the seasons, why in fall and winter, as everything's you know dying and withdrawing, that's when Persephone is left and Demeter is in mourning. And then spring is when she returns and Demeter is happy and everything starts blossoming and blooming. And so I thought of that because of when we're talking about like these climate changes and these changes and these crises that we're in and the famine. And for me, dark goddesses, one of the things they do is they balance the scales. Mm. When things have tipped too far, they step out and by any means necessary will rebalance. Mm. And it makes me think of the way that we're treating the earth and just all the abuse and all of the destruction and bringing in the famine. It, I can't help but think of the dark goddess and this rebalancing of, okay, like if that's what you're gonna do, then I'm, I'm taking back until this gets shifted mm. and there's an adjustment made and yeah so a lot of a lot of dark goddesses are coming in for the balance and also Sekhmet mm. ancient Egyptian goddess who's known as you know she's connected with the desert sun just the searing heat and while the sun can be life-giving it can also kill you and so Sekhmet is seen to have these benevolent and also fierce aspects. So in one form, she is considered a healer. And in others, she was called upon to exact justice when humans were no longer following balance and justice. She came out and just started eating and rampaging and taking out everyone because they had upset the balance. Mm. So again, you see, and she's connected with this specifically this hot desert sun hmm. she's tied in with the environment right i think many of the goddesses were and uh, this is this is opening up a lot <laughs> so thank <laughs> you for all of that yeah um, and i want to go back to demeter but the first thing that comes up to my mind i just wanted to share is years ago i had this idea that's still kind of in the back of my brain. One of my obsessions have been UFOs and mm. all the things. And I, I like to do a sort of archetypal reading on them. And okay. so I had this whole scenario of different aspects. I was looking at it archetypally, but one of the main ones was the phenomena of crop circles, mm. which I tied to Demeter because they were happening in the crops. And I'm like, you know, it, maybe it's not even aliens or something that is providing these or creating them. Maybe they're messages from the goddess herself, mm -hmm. the body of the earth. You know, it's trying to get our attention and in the crops. I um, love that. So I love uh, that so yeah. much. Yeah. So I just had to share that. But going back to this story of Demeter and Persephone, by the way, do you know what Persephone, the name literally means? It's not coming to me at this moment. I know 
at one point I did, but well, I'm not. This is, this is what I've learned. This is why I asked. Cause I, okay. but what I learned was Persephone means the bringer of destruction. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, she becomes the queen of the underworld. Yeah. And there's some scholarship that says she might predate Hades, mm. that he was an afterthought, that it was actually her completely ruling the underworld. And then Hades came in as her husband mm. later, mm. as a later addition. And so again, going back to Demeter, at one point in her rage, that is said to bring on the Arrhenes. And the Arrhenes are this class, these female spirits sent out to seek justice. Right. And specifically when it comes to murder within families. Mm -hmm. So if, if someone's been, you know, if a brother murders a brother or a son, you know, a father murders a child, whatever, the Arrhenes show up to demand justice that mm. this is not okay which again is tied to demeter and this familial bond and ferocity around don't mess with my family mm. and you know it's and again that those are dark goddesses those are goddesses that will not be appeased and that are out for blood and seek retribution and not revenge right it is not revenge it is restitution. It is creating an equilibrium. You took this, it needs to be balanced out. Right, right. And the Furies were, I've heard two different or have read two different places where they may have been born or who they were daughters of. And one was Gaia, that they were the mm -hmm. daughters of Gaia. And the other was, you know, speak of the dark goddess, daughters of night. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I like that. And I, I see now that, you know, Gaia seems to be rather furious. Uh, you know, <laughs> yes. Was there any way of, I guess the only way of placating the furies was to ensure that that balance returned to make amends. Yes. And yeah. as soon as it was, they immediately disappeared. They were okay. Our job is done here. So it's not like they stayed and hung out and just kept feeding off of it. They just wanted balance restored. Right. Now, with the story of Demeter, it also involves, she's not a major player in it, but it's one of my favorite examples of the dark goddess, which is Hecate. Yes. And she's the only one, her and the sun were the only ones that knew something had gone awry with yeah. Persephone. And one of the things I was thinking of, you know, uh, one, I know that Hecate is associated with witches. Yes, uh, we see this Queen in of the witches. Yeah, we see it in Macbeth with the three weird sisters, you know, <laughs> that they are invoking Hecate. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's also associated with root magic and that mm -hmm. poison path, mm -hmm. but also the crossroads. Yes. And I think that that is also very telling with, you know, symbolic of our current, you know, we're at the crossroads. Now I'm a little bit more along the lines of, yeah, no, the crossroads, you know, we took the wrong path. They're behind us. You know, we ignored Hecate at our own peril, but she was also associated with the underworld. I think that it was said that she held the keys to the underworld. Yes. And she's associated with torches as the light bringer. So even though she's in the darkness, she still, she holds the key and she holds the light. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, two things that I learned about Hecate, and I was trying to find a reference to these and I couldn't find them. So, but I trust the source. But one was that Hecate was eternally pregnant. Mm. That she was always pregnant. And this fits into that sort of the triple goddess motif, but that she that that she was the crone, but the new, you know, the the, the maiden was always the potential was always there. Yeah. And I don't again, I don't know about that. I can't imagine being eternally pregnant. I don't think any woman would ever want to be <laughs> eternally pregnant. But the other uh thing that I learned about her is that she would splash around barefoot in the river. And this was in the underworld. She'd splash around barefoot in the rivers of pain and misery. And while she mm -hmm. did that, she laughed the entire time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she knows the underworld. Yeah. When she, you know, also understands that all that we can really do in the face of all of our sufferings and everything is kind of laugh at them. Yeah. Yeah. And even though you mentioned, you know, that you feel that the crossroads are way behind us where we should have taken a different path. Yes. And there's always new crossroads being put before us. Mm -hmm. So there's always the opportunity of, are you going to take a different path? So even within that suffering and the play and the laughter and the misery, then there's the crossroads of what do you choose next? Right. Yeah. That's a very good point. So thank you for that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I tend to be pessimistic <laughs> with, especially in terms of our many, 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 many environmental crises. And so she represented with the underworld, the underworld represents all of those things that it, rep it can represent the unconscious. It's all of those things that we're repressing yeah. And yeah. that we need to, you know, and if she is eternally pregnant, it represents those things that we need to give birth to. Yeah. Well, so the underworld is associated with dark mm -hmm. and darkness precedes light and mm -hmm. creation. Right. So the dark of the new moon precedes the full moon coming. The dark void is that out of which all of creation is made. The dark of the womb is what grows the child before they emerge into the light. Mm -hmm. So, it, it, and it also shows like there's not these duality opposites of it's either dark or light, right. but the two are intertwined. The two feed into each other and off of each other and interact with each other. And that is what we need. And so another dark goddess is Ereshkigil right. in, in the myth of Inanna, and she's the queen of the underworld. And while Inanna's down there, Ereshkigil is in labor pains hmm. and she is, you know, screaming out and giving birth. So again, we have in the underworld, in the dark, in the, the death is new life happening. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't there a, um, I'm not sure how I want to word this, but again, it's this, not the duality, but it's the, you know, both and the, the womb and the tomb. Yes. That it's the, you know, we come out from the underworld, we come out from the womb, but then mm -hmm. at the end, we all return to the earth. Yeah. We all return to the underworld. Right. And the ancient great goddess, that's how she's known as the womb in the tomb. Mm -hmm. And there's these ancient burial sites that are actually constructed like going back into the womb. 
and there's some on Malta that actually when you look up an aerial view, you can see the body of the goddess and the entryway in for the burial is actually, you know, between her legs and, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that a lot of, you know, early worship, or I don't even want to say worship, but maybe spiritual practice and even philosophical practice occurred in caves, mm -hmm. you know, yes. yeah, I think it was, caves uh, remained sacred yeah. throughout multiple cultures and caves were also the point of oracular activity, mm -hmm. connection with spirits, with wisdom, with crossing those keeping a foot in each world mm -hmm. yeah 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 very much so so the other dark goddess that i'm really familiar with that i really like is in india mm. and we can look at kind of the connection but both durga and kali i think yeah. most people associate kali with the dark goddess but i think durga is also a bit of a dark goddess yeah yeah and we've got the ferocity there and Kali was in one of one story born from Durga mm -hmm. from Durga's th third eye to take care of uh, demons running wild mm -hmm. and so yeah like if Durga is birthing Kali then you can't say she's not tapped into the dark goddess herself right right yeah. Yeah. My understanding, she was the embodiment of the rage of Durga, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, Kali was. Yeah. And what I always found interesting is that with Durga, in her dark aspect, it was her wrath was against the wicked. And her purpose, you know, her, her wrath was, you know, focused against the, the wicked and the wicked were those people who were oppressing others. Mm -hmm. And that there is also this, and I liked this, and I think this is really important because this, my understanding of the story of Durga is that there was a demon, Mahis Asura. Mahi Asara, mm -hmm. I'll just say, I'm probably mispronouncing that, that had performed all of these boons. And this is the way these stories always work, right? That there's some demon that performs all these boons to get some reward and some God's like, okay, well, you get what you, you asked for. And that causes all sorts of troubles. Mm -hmm. And so what this demon asked for was, I don't want to be killed. He wanted immortality. And I think he was making all these boons to uh, Brahma, uh, uh, one of the creator gods. And Brahma's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And then the demon's like, okay, well, how about this? No woman will kill me. And he asked for that because he thought that women were too weak, that no woman could ever possibly kill him. What was interesting though, is that the gods couldn't kill him either. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or actually I miss, mistook that he has to only be killed by a woman because he, and that meant that no male God could kill him. So I misspoke that, but the God that the, the, you know, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, they created Durga to take care of it. And I like that in the sort of a symbolic way, because it's saying, no, women do have the power to do this. Yeah. And it's, it's, they were invoking the fierce feminine. Yeah. which is the dark goddess right and the dark goddess is also the dark mother mm -hmm. you know she's not bringing destruction and death and ferocity just because it's fun 
Right. She's bringing it out of a sense of care for her children, mm-hmm. care for balancing things out, for righting wrongs, for wiping out wickedness. It's it's not just violence and death for the sake of it. Right, right. And I think there's this idea as well is that you sometimes have to have destruction before you can have creation. Absolutely. Absolutely. If we look at Hawaii and Pele, the volcano goddess, and when she erupts and that lava flows through, like it destroys absolutely everything in its path. But after it's done, that's some of the most fertile soil ever. Like regrowth happens in this huge, prolific amount. And so, yes, death precedes creation. Destruction precedes creation. Destruction can be generative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's this aspect then I think of time and mm-hmm. Kali is associated with time. And it's interesting because Kali's name also means black. Yeah. You know, so you've got the black and the time and, you know, one of the things I like about Kali because when you see Kali, she is a ferocious looking goddess. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got that tongues always hanging out to lap up the blood of her victims. She's got that garland of skulls. You know, she's yeah. got arms for her, her, her skirt, but yet she's so beloved, you know, yeah. Kali Ma. Kali yeah. Ma. And there are different versions of her. There is not one Kali. Right. So there's there's different versions and she is honored in different ways by different people. So it's not just one, mm. but the one that we're most familiar with is that dark, ferocious mm. being who even then, like when you break down the symbology of the different pieces, it's beautiful and it's amazing. Like the, each thing, means something different you know the the hands the arms around her belt is karma and it's it's just she can be broken down in every little detail and and the blackness is also again the void Mm -hmm. time and that which time came out of its fertility it's the starting point yeah 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 and i think that often we forget that with fertility and birth, it starts in darkness. Um, mm-hmm. I had someone on once, Landa Lynn helped, and something that she noted was that most of life happens in darkness. Even under the the soil, you know, the soil is alive. There's all these bacteria mm-hmm. and worms and other bugs and everything, yeah. and that's what supports us. Life yeah. happens in the darkness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I was thinking about in terms of Kali, I actually have a couple of things I want to say. So one's about Kali, and then I want to say something. I want to go back to the the goddess as the underworld. So mm-hmm. just asking you to keep me on track here. So <laughs> with Kali, Kali is also associated with Tantra. Yes. And I was thinking in terms of, you know, Tantra, there's this, the word Tantra means to expand but it's also kind of connected to weaving and a thread, mm-hmm. which made me think of the, is it the Moira, the, the fates, mm-hmm. but also 
this idea of Tantra, I, I think in the West, we have a skewed version of Tantra. Yes. But Tantra is very embodied. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to take a moment or two and talk about the goddess and this idea of being embodied. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of the goddesses, they are embodiment. They are here, now, the earth, life, sex, living. Mm -hmm. They're not some transcendent god who's not even engaged with the earth, but, you know, waiting until after we're done. It's it's not the separation. They're very much embodiment. And with Tantra, yes, we, in the West, we have a very uh, misguided understanding. Mm. And what we think we know is very, very tiny and not completely correct. And Kali is associated with the left-handed path. Mm. And the left-handed path is where they are embodied. They are actually doing the practices because in the right-handed path, you're doing visualizations. So for example, in the right-handed path, you can visualize having sex for this, you know, purpose and enlightenment and merging with divinity and the left-handed path, you actually do it. Mm. You know, in the right-handed path, you think about drinking wine and the left-handed path, you drink it. Mm. And it's the left-handed path is specifically working with taboo substances, according to the, you know, Hindu, beliefs or or understanding so it's not just anything it's very it's five specific substances and the left-handed path the path with kali is you're actually doing it you're engaging with it you're embodying it you're not just thinking about it and yeah embodiment shows up with all of them and another piece that i love about the dark goddesses is their connection to sex Mm. they they enjoy getting physical and having play and joy in their bodies and no shame, no apology. They're, they know what they want mm. and they go for it. And it's another piece of embodiment that's a wonderful thing to enjoy. Yeah. Oh, no, we can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that I, I, I could just see, you know, in my head, I've got, you know, patriarchy, like embodied of patriarchy is like, oh, no, oh, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> got to lock can't that do down. Can't, yeah. can't go there. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I like about Tantra as well is that it's, I, I forget where I got this. I think it was George Feuerstein. I don't know if I'm mm-hmm. that right, but I think he referred to it as like a, a religion for a new age or mm-hmm. even a religion for a dark age yeah. and that things are so messed up that it requires something quite radical. Yeah. And that there's this aspect of Tantra that is violating taboos, yes. which is what you were just talking about that yes. violates all of these taboos that we have. And it's also disruptive. It's disruptive yes. to the order. And that's what we need right now. And that's what's happening. And we are in the age of the Kali Yuga. So this this is where we are. And I also want to mention that, again, going back to Tantra and how little we understand, the West 
really grabs on to the sex piece and that is a very minor piece and it happens after many years of study and practices and discipline it's tantra isn't about let's have sex and let's have amazing sex in its original form sex is part of the path and it's it's not necessarily for everyone Right. Even in the tantric teachings, they say this path is not for everyone. Right. It's known as the lightning path and it can like blow your circuits right. if you're not adequately prepared. And again, it's, it's a much broader, bigger practice than what we in the West know. Right. And yeah. 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 Whenever I talk about Tantra in a class, I have a very difficult time talking about it because I, I, you know, one, I just don't know enough about it and it, it it's, and I want to be able to speak cogently about it, but mm -hmm. it, you know, it's esoteric. So it's kind of difficult yeah. because you yeah. really have to be initiated into the Tantric practices. Yes. But that also seems to be a feature of many of the, I don't know if we want to call them religions. I think it goes beyond our understanding now, certainly not necessarily organized religions, but the religious activities centered around the goddesses and the dark goddess were always initiatory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and they were experiences. Yes. And immediately my mind goes to the Eleusinian mysteries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that was going on for more than a thousand years there was a vow of secrecy which is amazing that it was kept so right. far we have not discovered anything in writing that talks about the core activity of the mysteries what actually happened everyone kept and honored the vow of silence but it was life-changing and the culminating ritual i believe was in a cave or it was enclosed it was dark it was this whole experience which some scholars believe that there were psychotropics involved or, or other things but over and over again people said that once they went through it they no longer feared death right and the Eleusinian mysteries are connected with Demeter and Persephone Persephone is the queen of the underworld and so something happened with the goddesses, with the dark goddesses, with death that brought people out into a place of fearlessness mm. and peace, I don't know, acceptance. Mm. And that's facilitated by these dark goddesses. And it's, they, people actually engaged in something. Right. It wasn't just talking about, it, it wasn't philosophical. It was, it was embodied. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'm a, I love researching the Eleusinian mysteries and uh, yeah, the, the Telesterion, I think is what it was called. That was the main temple. And it was unlike any other Greek temple because all the Greek temples were open. This was entirely enclosed, mm -hmm. you know, it was entirely enclosed, but this embodiment, you know, it gets me back to the thing I wanted to say. And I'm glad that we're doing this out of the context of the Eleusinian mysteries, because I see, that this is one of the issues that we're facing in the world is this, especially in terms of the Western religious traditions that we've denied the physical. 
and have put all of our emphasis or you know many people and our the history of our culture has instead put the emphasis on this transcendental reality yes and it seems like it is this this fear of death it is this fear of the body and that's one of the th- ways that i see the dark goddess as being so necessary mm-hmm. because she tells us don't fear death right don't fear the body don't fear being an embodied being yeah and part of that fear comes from the separation from life Mm -hmm. again the goddess is womb and tomb Mm -hmm. death is not the end death is very connected with life and so there isn't it's not the same relationship when you have the goddess embodied bringing death and fearlessness and that connects to life again like destruction preceding creation Mm. it's just another opportunity for creation to continue in a different way yeah 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 it's a message that i think that we all need and it you know tying it back to the environmental situation right now i think so much of that has been caused by us denying being embodied yeah, you know, and refusing to recognize our own sort of animal natures. Yeah. And denying the embodiment of the earth mm-hmm. and, and not just embodiment, but I believe in mm. of the earth yeah. and that it's a relationship and we've, forgotten that it's a relationship (laughs) yeah and not a resource i mean it's yeah there's so many ways in which we've disconnected Mm -hmm. and separated and forgotten right because the further back you go in history with these more ancient cultures or even current day indigenous cultures they stayed connected there was the balance. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Very much so. When I was thinking also, you know, this is the last thing I'll say about Tantra, but I think a feature of Tantra is this teaching of interconnection. Yes, absolutely. And not just interconnection, but, and this is why one of the reasons why you engage with taboo substances and activities is that the divine divinity, the the sacred is inherent in everything. It is not separate. It is not, well, these things are sacred, but these things aren't. And if you can find and connect with the sacred in something taboo or that you consider dirty or wrong or nasty, if you can connect with the sacred in that, then you're plugged in and recognizing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it recognizes the necessity, you know, Shiva and Shakti, you mm-hmm. have to have both. You have to have, you know, Shakti, the feminine energy is yeah. what vivifies. <laughs> yeah. You know, There's a saying that Shiva without Shakti is just a corpse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one of the images of Kali. She's standing on the corpse of Shiva, I mean, yes. kind of, you know, animating him, I think. Yeah. And he's the one that keeps her grounded enough that she doesn't 
completely go off and destroy everything right. and bring everything to annihilation. Yeah. So they're working with each other. They need each other. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and that brings to mind another question because we've been focusing on the dark goddess and the dark goddess, you know, there was definitely this repressed and mm -hmm. suppressed and oppressed female But we also need the masculine as well. Mm -hmm. And so what is the role of the masculine with the dark goddess? Well, if you look back at different stories and mythologies, especially when, you know, older fertility ones, the goddess gives birth to the son who grows up and becomes her consort, dies and gets born again. And so it's the cyclical pattern mm. of being born of and partner to. So I believe there's a dynamic relationship. It's not static. It's not, well, the masculine shows up in this one way for the feminine or the masculine only does this. I believe it's a fluid, dynamic interaction. And like with Shiva and Shakti, there's a balancing of the chaos and the fluidity and the all of this movement with groundedness, with form, with bringing in stability. And the two work together. If we just focus on one, we go out of balance again and things go sideways. Right. And which I think is the, the resurgence of the goddess, whether we're talking dark or otherwise, is because we've so over-focused on the masculine and developing the masculine that the tables have tipped. And so now it's like, nope, we, like, we need to rebalance mm -hmm. with the goddess. Again, the goddess comes in to balance. And in that way, I believe initially, it's her taking the lead mm. and the masculine coming in to support that, mm. to support the change, to support the rebalancing, to support what needs to be done. And the feminine isn't just related to females. Right. There's the feminine within men, the feminine within everything. It's not limited to biological identified women. Right. The feminine is a force, is an energy. And society and cultures are the ones who ascribe certain traits and qualities to it mm -hmm. so that we can understand it. But that's not, it's not limited to that. And right. the suppression, like you mentioned, the repression, suppression, oppression of the feminine also happens within men. Right. And because the culture has told them too that you want nothing to do with the feminine, any fe anything that's considered feminine within you, you need to get rid of. You need to suppress, repress. It's, it's not okay. We need you to be completely in your masculine. And that's not healthy for anyone. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I think it's something that is not recognized often, but that patriarchy hurts men too. Yes, Absolutely. And it's, and you also have women who support patriarchy. Mm -hmm. 
there are women who have opted in to that belief system, to that structure, to that power over. So it's not this dividing line of men versus women. Right. We it's call those not. we call those women Serena Joy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it she's is. the you know from the Handmaid's Tale, she is the embodiment of the woman who supports patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's at this point, we need to focus on the change that elevates, empowers, and heals all mm -hmm. instead of finger pointing. Right. It, it, we, we can't keep doing the whole, well, it's your fault, or it's because of this, or if that had been different. It, no, like, let's focus here and now. Mm -hmm. We are at the crossroads. Right. Forget about the crossroads behind us. We yeah. can't revisit that. <laughs> like, right. what are we going to choose now? And it takes all of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, it reminds me also of, I mean, we have to incorporate this dark goddess, you know, psychologically. And it reminds me of Athena and Medusa. Yes. You know, where are you, you're familiar with the, the relationship between the two of them, I assume. I, I love them. And I just, I love what immediately pops into my mind when you say that is Athena with her shield with Medusa, like huge and loud and in the center of it. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Well, did, wasn't it on her chest? Didn't she wear, I, I don't know if it was the actual head of Medusa, but it was, no. wasn't it Athena that actually caused Medusa to become this sort of monstrous figure because she had been a beautiful woman. If I remember mm -hmm. them, it's been a long, long time, but I think Poseidon seduced her in Athena's temple <laughs> and Athena's like, Oh no, not going to have that. Yeah. So you are yeah. now, you know, beast with, you know, snakes and everything, but eventually Athena who is kind of the, you know, she was born of the head of Zeus, the head of her father, but that she had to eventually incorporate what she had rejected and created in a way. Yeah. Well, speaking of Medusa herself, from her, her head, it is said that one stream of her blood is poison and kills. And one stream is the elixir and heals. Mm. And so which, which side you take from. So the one contains both the, the curse and the blessing, mm. which we see in other goddesses who are the goddesses of disease, who mm. both bring the disease and cure the disease. Right. Right. Yeah. Good point. Good point. So I'm, I'm curious, you've kind of answered some of these questions, I think. Um, but where do we go? I mean, we're facing a lot of challenges right mm -hmm. now. And it seems like the dark goddess is asking something of us all. Yeah. And what exactly do we need to do? How, how can we, how can we help achieve this balance? Do you think and honor the dark goddess? The first thing that comes to mind for me is action. Mm. The dark goddess does not lay around in repose and just hang out. She is a goddess of action. Mm. And so the rebal and the rebalancing can only come from taking action, right. whether it's 
social justice or you know ecological activism or anything you know it's taking action hmm. and yeah it, for me the two biggest things are the rebalancing and taking action taking action seeing that things are not okay and let's do something about it and the dark goddesses also embody rage mm -hmm. and rage is a fuel it's a propellant of look at what's going on and let's get angry about it because the anger is a lot of times when people will act right. i'm really pissed off about this what can i do yeah. how can i change it how can i be involved where can i fix it yeah. So for me, the dark goddess is recognize the imbalance, mm -hmm. get angry about it and go take action. Yeah. And I see a lot of people not taking action or not taking effective action. And I think that is a key. It has to be effective action. You know, I was, you know, social media, I saw, you know, after Roe v. Wade was overturned, a lot of people, especially a lot of women, there was this resignation of sorts of somebody needs to do something mm -hmm. and i'm like well okay do it and you know one of the comments that i always made is that you know look gathering together once a year with your knitted pussy hats that <laughs> doesn't do it you know it may have made you feel good temporarily but it ultimately was really kind of ineffective what yeah. are you going to do? What are we going to do about this? Yeah. And that's, that's bubbling up. The rage is bubbling up and more and more are tapping into the anger of, wait a minute, like what, <laughs> excuse <Yeah>. me? <laughs> no. And so there is that initial shock mm -hmm. where there is the, the pause of, I'm trying to process right now what, what is happening. And then comes the awakening rage. And okay, no, because I promise you action is coming. Yeah. Action is rising up. And yeah. Yeah. Well, we need that. And it seems you know, I don't know exactly where the dark goddess fits into this, but I'm pretty sure she does somewhere. So maybe you can help me with this. But when I think about the environmental crisis and many of the crises that we have, it often seems to me that way too many of us live in illusion <laughs> and don't recognize the severity of what we're facing. Yeah. And one of the things that I understand, you know, you know, we have to like look at, you know, the role of patriarchy and all this and how, you know, industrial capitalism, which I think is a product of patriarchy, but, you know, that's a big driving force of our environmental crises. But individually, there's not a lot we can do but we can mm -hmm. do some things, you know, we can get angry, we can get active. Mm -hmm. But one of the primary things we can do is, stop eating meat or severely limit our meat. And I, one of the things I read was apparently those who followed Hecate, mm -hmm. they were all vegetarian. Mm -hmm. 
And Demeter, Demeter, the grains. Yeah. You know, and in Genesis one, where we have Lilith, you know, not named in Genesis one, but in that God actually says, okay, you have all the fruit and all the grains that you can eat. Never once as, and you can eat the animals too. <laughs> have a barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I just kind of threw that out there because it seems to me that that is just one way of that we can do something kind of meaningful and there seems to be a grounding in it. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Well, and when you mentioned about how much we're still living in illusion, mm. I thought of Kali again yeah. and the swords that she wields and the swords to cut away illusion. Okay, good. Thank Wake you. up. Yeah. 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 We're in darkness and we need that light. We need the light. You know, we need to wake up. We need to, you know, cut off that ego head, <laughs> wake us yes. up. And we need that torch of Hecate yeah. and everything. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Vivian, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. This was an amazing conversation. What are you up to? What do you have? What are you working on? Oh, well, I'm, I love all of this. And so I'm constantly working on something new and creating something new. The biggest project right now is my mystery school mm. and creating that community to teach about the goddesses and whether you look at them as archetypes or whether you look at them as consciousness that you can interact with, there's still value in their message and how they model for us our own strength, our own action, our, our feelings are so many, so many different ways. So the school is what I've built to help awaken that in women and to rediscover the divine feminine, the womb and tomb, the embodiment, that the, the feminine way of living, being and doing and connecting with the sacred. So that from that, I'm constantly creating new offerings and new programs and new courses based in that. And it's, yeah, it's my, my font. It's, mm. I love creating. So there's always something new. So really that's the, the big container mm. that everything grows up out of. Okay. And within the school, there's a free membership that will always be free to access a certain level of resources. And then there's a monthly paid membership, which is more intimate, which gets access to even more and is more engaging. Like you're working with me, with the other faculty, with live people, whereas the free is, you know, all recorded kind of, you know, do it yourself. Right. But the, the monthly group is hands-on mm. and we gather a few times a month. Okay. online. All right. And where can people go to find the Women's Mystery School? It's www.womensmysteryschool.org. So okay. O-R-G. All right. I'll put a link to that in the show notes in the video description. Thank you. Um, absolutely. Is there anything that in regards to the dark goddess that you think that we missed? Or that, that you and I missed in our conversation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we had a pretty wide ranging conversation. Yeah. We to make sure we got everything. There's always more, but I feel like we, we hit the main points yeah. and each one in itself 
can just unravel in a whole other conversation and discussion. So I think, I think we did good. Okay. Yay us. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did good too. Yeah. Yay us. All right. Well, Vivian, again, thank you so much. I truly enjoyed this. It was a great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I love talking with you. I really enjoy everything you put out, your wisdom, your thought process, your insight. It's all really wonderful. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very, very much. I try. (laughs) All right. And that's a wrap on episode 49 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you're a part of my YouTube audience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It only takes a second and your five-star ratings really do help, especially if you listen on Apple. If you have a minute to spare, please consider posting a short but positive review and please consider subscribing. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. Also, if you think a friend, family member, or even coworker might like this podcast, please share it with them. Right now, that is one of the best ways to help me with the podcast. I really do need to grow the audience. Um, I also have a PayPal link set up if you would like to make a one-time donation. And as I keep saying, you can still be the first person to do so. Um, The link for that is in the show notes or the video description. I'm also going to be launching a Patreon within the next few months. I have a lot of plans for Rebel Spirit beyond the podcast. I do want to create more video content for the YouTube channel, and I'm planning some live stream episodes. The first will be with returning guest, Dr. Sharon Kogan, where she will offer a Jungian analysis interpretation of dreams for participants. We're still working on scheduling this, but it will likely be near the end of October. So be sure to follow Rebel Spirit Radio on Facebook and or sign up for the newsletter at rebelspiritradio.com so you can be informed of all future live events and the launch of the Patreon. Implementing all of this is going to take a lot of time and resources, so anything you can do to help will be greatly appreciated. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.